All right, welcome everybody to another edition of the CardCast. This is episode 85, or as we will now name it, the Peter Klima episode. We're back after a two-week hiatus because of a Western Canada road trip alongside Sean Shapiro, who is, of course, driving and putting our lives on the line. I'm Owen Newkirk. No, but the truth hurts sometimes, and I've said it a billion times, so it must hurt a lot. Or you just grow numb to insults at some point. I feel like we insult each other enough that it is sort of a thinly veiled, thick-skinned... I don't even know where I'm going with this. You have to you have to find a better insult to cut through the uh, frivolities of certain insults, Ooh, I guess. Ooh, well-chosen word, considering yes. that's how we look at our jersey <laughs> numbers. All right. Stars win tonight in a big fashion, 6-1 to one over the Vancouver Canucks. Superlatives everywhere. The largest margin of victory this season for the Stars. Previously, they had won. Their biggest margin of victory was three goals. So getting up to five, obviously an important one. And, of course, the point streak is still alive. We're up to nine in a row. Eight, oh, and one wins in 11 of their last 13. Only one regulation loss during that span. So now 11, one, and one since that one, seven, and one start. Eight of the 13 games, the Stars have held their opponent to one goal against. Point streaks are everywhere. Roddick Foxa is up to a seven-game point streak. Uh, Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan now have points in three straight games. And Miro Haskinen has points in four straight and assists in four. I could just keep going on and on. When you win as much as the Stars have done lately, Sean, the stats back it up with some great things. Oh, things have gone extremely well for the Stars. Um, they've gone from not just a point of being taking 1-7-1 and, and turning it into making up for what happened to the point where, you know what, the way they're playing with what they've done, um, and then you add in some of the other factors of who's been missing during this time, too, with injuries. Like, it, it, it's not just making up. It's not that they they haven't just made up for what happened with the 1-7-1 start. They've reinvigorated the feelings that this team, you know what, they could be pretty good this year. It looks like it, doesn't yes. it? Yeah, no, they do. They are, good, they are a good hockey team. Like they, they've And they're doing so without some key members missing, yeah. specifically Rope Hintz, John Klingberg, Matthias Janmark is out right now, although he's getting closer to coming back. So that's really encouraging that they can continue rolling without some of these blocks. I mean, look, when Rope Hintz got hurt, he was the Stars' best forward. Oh, yeah. And everybody was sitting there going, what are they going to do? Because the big high-priced talent guys, Ben Sagan, Radulov, not scoring a whole yeah. heck of a lot. Pavelski hasn't really gotten adjusted yet. Where is this going to come from? And it's not always the same player every night, but they've had contributions from multiple lines and a lot of balance throughout the last Almost months, really. The most impressive thing to me about the, uh, and I've written, I wrote this after the last game, and I wrote it again tonight, just dropping this, dropping just a line in the story. But, but depth scoring has become a strength, and it's the overall depth. And it doesn't have depth. to be whether it's it's Justin Dowling scoring in three out of the last four goals, four games. It's Blake Como coming with goals in back-to-back games uh, in the uh, Vancouver, followed by Edmonton. It's Taylor Fadoon getting his first goal of the year. It's Corey Perry getting his getting one on the board tonight. Depth scoring has become a strength, and it's something where it's not uh, there's not a requirement that it has to come from you name a player. It's not a requirement it has to come from a certain player. Right, like and, and, Alexander Radulov 
did not factor heavily in the scoring tonight. I would argue that he had his moments, both good and bad, as, as per usual. Yep. Doesn't mean he wasn't a factor in the game, but they don't need Radulov to carry the load all the time, and that's a good thing Correct. because you don't want to rely overly on one or two players all the time. Now, look, in big games and big moments, you want your, your big stars to to make the difference, your elite players, of course. But it takes a lot of pressure off those guys if you have balance. And, you know, the other thing, Sean, that I think is really important is that, and you mentioned this with the depth, like this game tonight, now again, again, the score got out of hand a little bit in the third period, so maybe they rolled their lines a little bit more, but over this last little stretch, the Stars have been playing four lines at 60. They haven't been shortening the bench incredibly, so it's allowed for real balanced time on ice, and I think that's an important thing. Yeah, and there's been some smart. Uh, I think there's been some real smart deployment yes. uh, by the coaches during this time. Um, one thing, I, and I, I think that it goes down to a couple different ways. I think you take a look at how certain players are getting used. I think um, Dennis Gurionov, for example, gets sheltered quite a bit in how he gets deployed. He, he kind of doesn't get put in many positions where he's going to be forced to be a defensive player. But that's smart. They're they're allowing him. They're realizing that he's the type of player who. Once he gets up and going, it, 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 he's an offensive player that we need to unlock. Um, you see, you see certain situations where we're going to, we don't need to grind out the minutes on, on uh, say Ben or Sagan when we can use the Como Fox Aguado line. Yep. Um, just things like that, where I think you're seeing kind of a smarter usage of the team, um, and it's, uh, and with how loaded the schedule's been, even though it's not as heavy as it was to start in October, it's still a busy schedule. I mean, we got a back-to-back, what, on Monday and Tuesday coming up, right? You want to talk about loaded? They have 10 games in the next 19 days yeah. coming up tonight. That's so, loaded. I mean, it's, yeah. they have, uh, in this current stretch, five games in eight days. That's a busy schedule. It's just not as heavy on the travel, but there is back-to-back going to Chicago, and yep. they're going to play a lot of games here between now and the end of the holiday season. Yeah, no, it's, it is definitely... So this deployment of being... They kind of have to with they, that they have to, Yeah, that's basically where I was trying to get to, was the you need that balance in the lineup. You want that area where you've got kind of a healthy balance between maybe your lowest forward on the totem pole is playing 12, 12, 11, 12 minutes, and your highest is playing 18 or 19. But you don't want to have to worry about... You don't want to be at a point where someone's only getting six minutes and somebody's getting 22, as far as forwards go. Let's go through the game tonight real quick. Yeah. The or as quickly as we can, because there were seven goals in the game, and one disallowed. Yes. First 90 seconds, actually a minute 26 in, Justin Dowling scores. Nice entry by Ben to Sagan, or at least we thought so. Sagan with a pass to Dowling, back post, and he scores uh, a beautiful goal, which is what Justin Dowling's been doing lately. Immediately challenged. I mean, very little hesitation from Vancouver. They challenge it right away, which is usually a pretty good indication that they, they think they have something. And unfortunately for fans that don't like the rule, he was offside. Tyler Sagan no, was. It was the right call. It was the right call. I'm not upset about it. I'm disappointed because for Justin Downing, I wanted him to have that goal. But I'm not upset because I am comfortable, Sean. I'm curious to get your take on this. If you're going to have, in my opinion, if you're going to have video review for offside plays, you're going to have to deal with the minuscule as well with the, with the blatant. And 
it's just the rule. So you may not like it, but it's going to probably even out in the long run. But this one wasn't minuscule. This one was blatant. Right. I, I don't like, know. No, no, when no, I say blatant, I yeah. mean like three or four feet. Oh, okay. But this one this one was clear. This wasn't the, did he tap his toe up or anything like that? No. He was, his foot was completely over and he was yeah. completely offside. And so this one wasn't even close. Um, the one thing that I would like and maybe... I, I don't know what the best way to do this is and everything like that, but maybe it'd be nice if plays like that, it'd be nice if plays like that were just automatically were automatically reviewed and just done right away as opposed to coaches having to make that decision. I don't know. It's, it's a random yeah, thought. Yeah, I mean, just cause the problem with doing that is that then that cuts into it all the time. Yeah. Um, and look, every, co- every team has a video coach that's – looking at every minuscule play anyway so well, i don't most, most, i don't like the idea that some people have brought up of having playing the plane of the blue line rather than feet on the ice um i first heard this uh this idea of not reason why not to from commissioner gary bettman yeah. and i totally agree they don't want the league does not want more players with their feet on, and skate blades up in the air yeah if you start trailing a foot up in the air or diving play to try to keep your your hands on sides and you start swinging those sharp steel blades around and you're going to lead to more guys getting cut and I don't want to see that. Yeah. Leave it the way it is. Yeah, but the call, Deal with it. It sucks sometimes when it's really was, close. But the call, It was the right call. Then. Like, for example, this one was easy because Sagan was the recipient of the entry pass. Yes. The one that was tough is one like the Esselindel power play goal in St. Louis in the second game of the year where Dowling was a hair offside on the backside of the play and really wasn't a factor in the play at all. Yeah. But that's that's the rule. It's it's black and white. Deal with it. Okay, so anyway, uh, Sean, you asked a question to Jim Montgomery in the postgame press conference tonight about this and about the team's reaction to that goal, and I thought that was one of the most interesting responses that Monty gave in that press conference. Yeah, I asked him about... Um, how important that reaction was to that goal. And it was something where he pointed out that about, not a month ago now, a month and a half ago, that they had the disallowed goal in St. Louis that would have put them up 3-1. They win and, that game, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. And they were up 3-1. It would have been up 3-1. Instead, they were up 2-1. The team kind of mentally crumbled, and they lost the game. And tonight, he said... Essentially, um, I'm paraphrasing a little bit because I don't have the exact quote in front of me. He essentially said, pointed out how they were mentally tough, they responded, and they didn't let it bother them. And we saw that. We saw that the Stars continued. He basically said it's a totally different team. Exactly. It, it, it is a completely different team. And the Stars continued to play, and and then um, obviously that, that kind of continuing within our game recap here. The stars go up one nothing. Jamie Ben scores in a. Not the completely same play, because obviously it's not three-on-three three like it was in Edmonton, but similar-looking play where he just kind of goes to the backhand, kind of puts puts himself in slow motion while everything else it kind of keeps going, and and sometimes that change of pace is enough to uh, to throw the goalie off, and he just waited, one nothing. He waited. He showed the yes. patience to wait. It's almost like hitting the brakes and letting somebody fly right by you. Yes. Um, and he did that and scored. So two goals now for Jamie in the last overtime session and beginning of a period. And then in the second period, he does it again on the power play. Nice shot. Beautiful shot. 
And in between that, right at the uh, later stages of the first period, Bishop made a couple great saves. A one on Gaudet, back post uh, on a power play, and then right afterwards, Vertan is wide open, and Bishop makes that's it. I mean, could have easily been a one-one game. I thought the Stars really outplayed Vancouver. I mean, look, they won six to one. Of course, they outplayed them, but early on, when the score was close, the the thing that really stood out to me, Sean, was it in the first two periods, seven of the ten quality chances that I tracked for Vancouver came on their power play. If the Stars stand on the penalty box, I don't think Vancouver comes even close to testing them. So there, yeah, there's two big things. There's two big things that won this game for me for Dallas. Obviously, six goals and what happened at the end is great. But the five-on-three penalty kill when it was one nothing, for me that was the real lockdown moment of Dallas was going to win. It's this funny because that was a brutal decision by the officials. Oh yeah, it was. It was a bad decision, but it was still that five-on-three power play where the Stars basically. Where the, the penalty kill. The penalty yep. kill, where Vancouver's five on three and the Stars shut it down. That, for me, was the moment we're watching from the press box, like, okay, they're going to win this game. And Yeah, and, and to me, the, the only way back in when they were down for Vancouver was via their very potent power play. Yes. Uh, they finished 0 for 5 tonight, and they were 0 for 3 against the Stars in Vancouver. By the way, they rattled off a ton of power play goals in the games around their two meetings with Dallas so far. But they've been stymied, and I think that that's a real testament. Because this is, for the Stars penalty kill, this was not some average NHL power play. No, I mean, these no. guys are clicking. They had two against Colorado in a wild game the other night in Vancouver. They've scored in, like, six of their last eight games, except for against the Stars when it comes to the power play. So a really good job that way. And then uh, they extended to a 3-1 lead, maybe the most important goal of the game. Some could argue it's the Jamie Benn power play goal to make it two. You know, Bo Horvat scores on a counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good goal, a mistake. But yeah. the guy who got caught up ice on that goal made up for it himself. Yes, Taylor Fadoon scores uh, his first goal of the season. And uh, really, for the, the first chance jumping into the rush was already a quality chance. And then great play to track down and just finish it on the rebound. Um, yeah, very much. He's, he's stuck. He followed a shot. Yeah, very uh, – Taylor Fadoon has been one of the um, – I asked Taylor – Montgomery talked about it again this morning, and we've kind of – it's kind of one of those obvious things that you don't even need to ask the coach about, but you do anyway. Taylor Fadoon has been one of the positive surprises in ex- and, uh, for the Stars' defense this season as someone who has been exceeding expectations. Um, he has moved the puck extremely well. He's helped with the burden of the of the of the uh, transition offense during John Klingberg's absence. He's been uh, he's got he's going to set a career high in points this year. Um, he'll, he'll probably he'll probably beat his point total from last year. He, he has really um, and for someone who you got to remember, yes, he was on the this NHL roster last year, but. The Stars signed a two-year deal this summer with a two-way contract. Yes. So there was a real possibility that he signed understanding that he might be in the AHL. He might be in the AHL, and he has taken full advantage of every opportunity. He's played extremely well. Um, and then I just just tonight the goal, and uh, and then also the uh, the bigger five-on-five minutes playing with Esselindel too. So it's Taylor Fordun has been a real kind of uh, he's been a key cog during this run for the Stars, and it's. For a team that's missed is missing, um, 
one of their biggest transition pieces in John Klingberg, he's played a huge role. He has, and it's been really good. And the Stars took that lead into the third period and then quickly made it 5-1 and 6-1. Yes. Um, well, actually, let's get to the first two first before we add the last one. So it's 3-1 after the second. Yes. Um, and two quick goals in the third. And that's re- they really pulled away because it's still 3-1. Vancouver gets a quick one somewhere, and all of a sudden it's, it's a nervy game, a little bit. Although I'm not so sure the Stars are in nervy hockey mode anymore, for a while anyway. There might, there'll be a game or two. It'll happen. But not like the first nine games. So just a beautiful passing sequence by the Dowling-Sagan-Ben line mm-hmm. leads to a little give-and-go with Dowling and Haskinen, and Miro finishes for his already sixth goal of the year. Yeah. And, I mean, boy, the skill on that play was really pretty. Yeah, it's one of those plays where the, the, the skill leading up to it was tremendous, and then just the simple give-and-go at the end was great, too. Just, That's what I mean. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a goal that, and you know what, Miro is... Miro was tremendous again tonight. He's been, I mean, we're starting to run out of superlatives, and we're running out of superlatives for his game. And the other thing about him, Jim Montgomery said this morning that he didn't think Miro gets enough attention. And he's right, because I still don't think enough people watch, and I'm pretty certain, hopefully I'm wrong, but I'm pretty certain that we're going to see... Um, at the end of the year, when we see Norris Trophy votes come out, we're going to see him on there, but we're going to have more of a discussion about the amount of people that didn't vote for him, just because... Just I, like the caller. Yeah, and he has been tremendous this year. He has, the way he's controlled the game, so many facets of it, and the way that he has just taken his game to another level as far as asserting himself as, I'm the best player on the ice I'm going to act like it. And that's and that to me and taking it upon himself, hasn't he? Yes. Yeah. He's taking it upon himself to control the transition, to control the offense, to to be that force on defense. Um I I doubt I don't think we have any other hockey writers listening to this, and if they do they probably already know what Hagenin <laughs> does, but it's it's the thing where You never know our audience, right? You, ne- you never know, but any hockey writers out there, yeah. send us a text or a tweet and yeah. let us know you're listening. But He's someone who he deserve. He is a Norris Trophy candidate, and I mean now, obviously, there's still sixty. Uh, it was game twenty-two. Sixty more. So sixty, 60, games 60, to 60 go. more games to go. But twenty-two games in, if you were to go and do the the, the uh, first quarter polling of who should be in the Norris Trophy conversation, he he needs to be in there. I agree with that. All right, so blink your eyes, star score again. This time it's Justin Dowling, and it's the first goal that he scored or had been disallowed this year that was great, but not the highlight reel dangle yes. or back post, uh, get it upstairs and elevate it. It was good play set up by Sagan to find him in the slot. Mm-hmm. He shoots, marks him with the save, gets knocked down, and I think he was just about on his knees as he knocks in the rebound. Still a highlight-type goal, but, I mean, just great that Dowling able to be persistent, had the goal taken away in the first, scores in the third, and really, even before they get to the sixth goal, that one really put, I mean, two goals that quickly, end of the game. Yeah, and the lead-up to that goal, one thing we, Tyler Sagan didn't score tonight, but 
Tyler Sagan... He had a chance right before, didn't he? Yeah, but you saw the confidence and the creativity for Tyler Sagan as a playmaker tonight come out. Oh, um, he had the dangle yeah. to set up the Dowling goal. Yes. That was right. pretty... It was around, oh, was it the defenseman yeah, at, the, at he, the blue line? Yeah, he, and then off the pass from Ben, he put the puck through his own legs to gain more space and make the pass to Dowling. He also had a couple other moments tonight where he just looked like that creative, assertive playmaker. Yes. And it just, it's kind of what we saw from Jamie Ben tonight, what we saw from Tyler Sagan. It's the version of those two players that the stars need to see to be the, okay, we're not just good, we're great. And that's what they saw tonight. So, and then obviously, so that's the 5-1 goal. Um, 6-1 goal was weird, wasn't it? It was... Uh, so the Vancouver Canucks run Ben Bishop for not the first time, although I thought Bishop maybe oversold the first collision. I think he did. I, he has a tendency to do that, yeah. and so I think some of the referees are Ooh, on there. That. He goes. Look at that guy. Is that a Ferrari, or is that a McLaren? I think it was a McLaren. So either way, we just got beaten off the line by a very high-end supercar. Yeah. Which, let's face it, Sean, you have a nice Jeep. Yeah, we weren't gonna beat him. Couldn't stand a chance. The only no. thing we can hope for is catch him at the next light yeah. to confirm the maker. It yeah. looked like a McLaren. I hope we catch him at the next light. Well, you, you could drive faster. You're not going to catch him unless he hits a red light. Yeah. Anyway, got to digress against hockey talk yeah. for, for roadway talk. Yes. Carcass. Anywho, uh, delayed penalties happened. Yeah, so two guys on the ice didn't stop playing. Pretty much everybody else yes. thought that they were just going to call a penalty on running the goalie. But Esselindel still had possession and snapped a seam pass up the middle of the ice to Corey Perry, who went in on breakaway and scored on Markstrom. And it felt like the rest of the of the players on the ice just went, oh, well, the game's over. You know, game stopped. Yeah. Corey Perry did not, and he scored. Yes. And it was uh, Corey Perry's first goal in a month, actually. No chance to catch the McLaren now. It's gone. No, it's gone. First goal in a month for Corey Perry, who last time he scored two a month ago in that Philadelphia game, that was 3-1. Um and that was really, I mean, it was over before that goal scored, but it was another, it was a big win for Dallas as you improved to 11 1 1 in the last 13, nine game point streak, and um, a lot of positives to take out of this one. So, my goodness. Right, so, I guess uh, time to hop to the lightning round or? Lightning round. And we're going to try to shorten this one and not sit in front of your house for half an hour because it's late. I'm tired. We have things to do. No practice tomorrow. Yes. Um, I have a, I have, speaking of car cast, I have to go get my car oil change and tire rotation. So I got to do that in the morning. Can't sleep in till noon uh, and have some other plans. So let's get this going. Let's do it. All right. First one came from Chev who had sent this a couple days ago. And I said, you're going to have to wait till we get back from the road trip. So which former stars were total douches off the ice? Steve Ott always bothered me with that punchable face. <laughs> also, which ice cream brand, Haagen-Dazs, Ben & Jerry's, or Bluebell? That's a tough first part of the question. I actually think Steve Ott was one of the nicest guys off the ice, so he would not fit in that category. Yeah, Steve Ott's actually a really nice guy. I didn't, I didn't necessarily think that he was a had a punchable face, but maybe it was his on-ice play that made you angry if he was playing for somebody that you weren't cheering for? Yeah, no, Steve Ott was a really good guy off the ice. Usually the, the guys that are more agitating physical guys are pretty chill, low-key off the ice. Yes. Antoine Roussel saw him today. 
great to catch up with him. I know you caught up with him yeah. last week in Vancouver. One of the biggest agitators in the game right now. Mm-hmm. And couldn't be a nicer guy off the ice. Yeah. Just a phenomenal human being. So, um, we're really lucky. There are a few guys in overtime that are less ideal in dealing with the media, but in hockey, it's rare. It's, it's not the norm. Well, and, and the other thing, too, is if a guy is... Um, if a, if a guy is a uh, is a dick is a dick to, is a dick or he's he doesn't really it's not something he kind of shows towards us he just doesn't talk to us and there's and it's it's hard to say sometimes if a guy's just quiet or a dick if that, if that makes any sense yeah it does right? yeah yeah, yeah. There, I mean there's also other guys yeah. to talk to too yes um, ice cream brands of the three that he mentioned that's a hard question yeah. I like all three Hagen Dust Ben and Jerry's and Bluebell but I'm more particular about specific flavors that I like from any brand as opposed to yeah. one over another. For example, the, my favorite Bluebell is coconut fudge. Ooh. And it's coconut ice cream with coconut flakes and a fudge swirl through it. And I can't find it anywhere right now. It used to be a summer only run. I remember first seeing it when we were living in Austin and then found it up here in Dallas before the big Listeria breakout that shut down their factory for a while. Mm-hmm. And since they've been back, and now they've got tons of different flavors in the grocery store, I have not seen coconut fudge anywhere. And it's disappointing because it's by far my favorite Bluebell. Yeah, I don't have a... I, don't, I like Haagen-Dazs and Ben & Jerry's. They, yeah, I don't, I, I don't have I'm a, not an all Ben & Jerry's guy, but some good ones. There. I don't have a strong take on, on those two. I do think... I do think if you're going to get, like, the gallon tub, I'm probably going to get more of Bluebell, I think. Well, down here, there's just a much bigger display. If you go up to the New England area, Ben & Jerry's is from Vermont, so you think it's more common, but but it's not necessarily because there are some big ice cream producers. But Ben & Jerry's, to me, is more... But Ben & Jerry's, though, to me... It's more of a pint thing, isn't it? it, Yes, it's it's definitely... I think Haagen-Dazs, for the most part, is that, too. I don't eat much Haagen-Dazs, so I don't really have a good opinion on those. I think Haagen-Dazs makes great ice cream. I just don't buy it a lot. Two reasons. One, I like to buy the big tubs. Two, Haagen-Dazs and Ben & Jerry's aren't cheap. And Ben & Jerry's, like, you think of the kind of the more fun flavors, I think. And I think that's why you do more of the pints for those where you say, like, oh, I'm going to try this one and this one and this one, as opposed to going with the giant tub. If you can go to a Ben & Jerry's actual store and get a cone, they have a lot more flavors than they necessarily have in a grocery store where you can buy. And so you can get some stuff that isn't necessarily available in normal retail. And that's awesome. So that's one question. Should we call it? Um, <laughs> um, Colin writes in, are the Stars the type of team that you thought they would be at this point in the season? Um, I guess the question becomes what point we thought that. Like, I if, think we thought they were going to get there, but I don't know if we thought they were going to be – I mean, have they gotten to – I thought they were going to be first wild card at this point. Yeah, I, I think they're at a spot I thought they would have been before the season started. I don't think it's a spot I would have thought they would have been after the one seven and one start. Yes, if that's fair. No, after one seven and one, I thought, boy, they're going to be lucky to be a playoff team. Yes, uh, they've changed us around a lot. All right, Galapagos. Well, that was a fun game. I think the stars are showing how dangerous they can be with primary and secondary scoring. My carcass question is this. Guy Carboneau and Sergei Zubov got in the Hockey Hall of Fame yesterday. What's the chances their teammate Yuri Letnin can join them? So, uh, I don't know if you saw the story, but 
uh, Pierre Lebrun had an interesting story today. I saw it, but haven't read it. About how I saw that it was out there. It was about how certain players' inductions lead to open doors for other players. Right. Um, and how Guy Carboneau getting into the Hall of Fame opens the door for Yuri Lettinen to get in because Yuri was basically Guy uh, about a decade later, um, but he was a winger. And I I think I, I agree with Pierre that the door is a bit more open for Yuri Lettinen to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame. The problem is um, he doesn't, to me, I just don't see it happening because he doesn't have the Montreal Canadiens captain won this all, this many Stanley Cups and and just doesn't have the um, he doesn't have that draw that to go on top of his play. Like I think his play, if you compared it to Carboneau, is definitely worthy. Absolutely. But if you look at the other things around it that help you get into the Hall of Fame. Um, there are some politics involved. There are definitely some politics involved. I just don't think Yuri has that. And now Yuri is a is someone who, and and the other question too becomes, and I'm not trying. This is not to just diminish Yuri or anyone. Thinking, when you look at should Guy Carboneau be in the Hall of Fame? That's that's another fair debate I think because he is a player. He is someone who when he went in you were thinking, hmm, that's interesting that he got in. Yes, it, um, it elicited that reaction. So, um. I, I don't think I don't think Lettinen gets in. I think he gets into conversations now because of Carboneau, but I don't think he gets in. Andrea writes, after two weeks and four games on the road, we get the Carcast back with a team that's on fire. Welcome back, guys. Two weeks feels too long. Remember, we say questions and comments. Yes. Doesn't always have yes. Yes. Questions, we love the comments. Thank you, Andrea. Uh, Jason writes in, have we established the new way to motivate Ben and Sagan is to publicly put them on a blast? I don't think so, but I think what it really says, Sean, is that it pulls back the curtain that when a coach or an executive does that, they're basically, if you read between the lines, saying that this is not the first time this issue's been brought up Yeah, in um, the team circle, right? So I've had a couple thoughts that have gone different ways on the whole thing that happened. Obviously, so as the quick 10-second refresher, after the Winnipeg Jets game last Sunday, Jim Montgomery was not happy, talked about his number one center, his number one left winger, need to actually show they want to be difference makers. Obviously a shot at Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. Um, Then he apologized to them two days later. I've gone back and forth on a couple things on all of this, and to me... I actually think the p- apology worked more than the call out. I don't like. I don't. It's an I don't, interesting way to think of it. Like I don't know. Like I'm not sure if I'm. I'm not sure if I'm right at this or not. But I look at it and I, and I think the apology may have worked a bit more just because. One thing that really happened, during that Western Canada road trip that we really saw was we really saw this team playing together and playing for each other. And, yes. And you saw different guys stepping up and everything like that. And. I think almost the apology, the, hey, we can't put this on just two guys, um, on two guys, I think that sent more of a message that this is a team, and maybe I'm wrong and I'm overreading into it, but I think that had more of an impact than what he actually said as far as they want to be difference makers, whatever. I think it was more of, 
we're a team, we're all going to work on this. And then as the level of the whole team went up, Ben and Sagan, there's the internal pressure that, that applies there of, well, we need to raise our level like our teammates. Like that's, I kind of, I kind of have looked at it that way. I'm not sure if I'm right or wrong. It's just a theory. I'm not sure if you are either, but yeah, yeah, it's something to think about. I want to go to multiple people asked this: Stefan, Travis, Cody, et cetera. Everybody wants to know with the team playing so well, I'm going to paraphrase all this because they're all asking essentially the same thing. Who comes out of the lineup when Yanmark, Hintz, and Klingberg get healthy? So the first thing is is that we – I don't know about you, Sean, but it gets I get the feeling that if all things follow progression, that Yanmark will probably be ready to go Thursday against the Winnipeg Jets. Probably. It, probably. I'm not saying definitely, yeah, yeah, but yeah. if he does, that will – and I think he's the first guy back of those three. Uh-huh. That sends Nick Commando, who's been playing pretty well, back to the AHL simply yes. because of contracts and it's yes. an easy move. Etc. But the real interesting question is what happens when Rope Hints and John Klingberg return? Who comes out of the lineup? Because the first thought would be, oh well, it probably is going to be Taylor Fadoon. You know, he well, can be your seven, but he's played really well. Let's work. Let's let's let's. let's and if let's, you think let's, about let's Hintz, one group at a time. Okay, so you want to go forward? Let's first. go forwards first. Okay. It's. I mean, I said to Bruce on the post game show tonight, Matias Yanmark's going to come back in whether it's Thursday or Saturday. He's going to replace Nick Commando. It's just going to happen. Yes. As long as everybody stays healthy, and you hope that's the case, Yanmark might be playing in the very unenviable position of having to get up to speed from an injury instantaneously to keep his lineup spot. I think that's highly Because of how well Justin Dowling's been playing. Yeah. I mean, Justin Dowling's not coming out of the lineup. Not in current form. No, Justin Dowling's not coming out of the lineup. You're not taking apart the... Cogliano, Fox, Acomo line. The FCC line, because um, they shut you down. We've been doing that since last year, but it might start catching on. Maybe. Maybe not. Um, Razor said it on his podcast the other day, so maybe that'll finally kick in. Dickinson's not coming out of the lineup, obviously. Um, Perry is not coming out right now. Um, yeah, I mean, it's Yanmark's in that spot where he's playing. Guriano certainly not coming oh, yeah. out. Yeah, Yanmark's in that spot where he's playing to prove he comes out, not to prove he doesn't come have to come right. out of the lineup. Right, and it's hard to do when you haven't played for a week yeah. or so with an injury, so mm-hmm. it's going to be tough. Um, how about defense? Klingberg comes back in. Who would you take out? I would – see, I would take – It's a tricky one, isn't it? For one game, like – See, I would take out – I would actually end up taking Andre Secker out. Okay. Um, now, it's not – That's tough because then you're putting in an extra right-handed player with a left, although you could move Miro back to his strong side. Yeah. Well, I, it's, I would probably take Secker out, but I also think there's value. It's an with, interesting thought. Then you could – in theory, you could go Miro and Klinger. Mm-hmm. Lindell and Fadoon yes. and Polak and Alexiak, which is what they wanted to do at the start yes. of the year, except for with Sekera instead of Fadoon. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of moves there. I think there's yeah, and I I'm also partial to the idea of I think this team would probably be in a better spot, and I think they're in that spot where you're rotating the scratch, on um, rotating the scratch around. Like I don't think. And that's okay because that comes into more of what I want to see for load management. Yes. So it's 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 an interesting question. What I would probably do is I would probably take 
I would probably take Sekera out, but I would the other one I would probably take out. I would also consider taking Polak out too. It's it's those. It's I look at who. Except for I really like what Polak brings. Yes, but I also think you have to. You there may be a sp- night where you manage him too. Sure. Yeah, but you earn your spot in the lineup. Oh like, yeah. Like you okay. have to earn your spot. Alexia but these are Fidun- good problems to have. Alexiak and Fadun have earned their spot. Um, so it'd be hard to take Fadun out, but yeah. Uh, okay, we got to move on because we're yeah, ne- yeah. definitely not going to sit here for another half an hour. Um, Shane writes in a funny one. Are the Stars winning the rest of their games? Carcast, yes, guys. It's tongue-in-cheek. I know we'll lose like four or five more throughout the season. <laughs> Thanks for the laugh on that. Um, Andrew writes in, I know that this is the last year of Hudobin's contract and the cap will be tight, but is there a chance for an extension of any kind in his case, or is it just not possible? possible like it's just i think it more comes down to what does anton hudobin want next year does he if he continues to play like he has been this year and last year does he want to try to do what carter hutton did which is try to sign a free agent for a number one job somewhere um, i don't think anyone gives him a number one job i mean hudobin's a little bit older that's the problem yeah. but he's been really good but the question is what is he looking for does he want a one year does he want two somewhere whether it's the starting or backup role, the whole, and is Landon Bow really ready to go? And the answer is maybe. We don't know. So the other whole Hudobin thing too is a lot of it's going to depend on what the goalie market is. Like it's just it's it's such sure. a that's that's an interesting. Is Hopia UFA pending for next year? I don't know. Off the top I think of my he head. is. But that, that's a question that. And that's an interesting one because with Ilya Samsonov coming into his own as a rookie now, what if he continues to play well? Would Washington let him walk. Well, get that to another car cast, perhaps. Um, Dallas Stars Haiku asked a really interesting question about with Miro now undeniably claiming our number one D spot. What does this mean for Klingberg when his contract is up in 2022? Uh, current deal is far too valuable to move him, but would the team balk at resigning Klinger to a top money deal now? I certainly hope not. He's still my favorite star. Oh, man, that, we could do a whole show on this. We could do a whole show on that. I'll, I'll give you my quick my quick thoughts on this. Um, there's a couple ways to go. One could be, and it's just highly realistic possibilities the team could look at it, is they know the type of money that uh, Miro's going to get, and John Klingberg walks as UFA. That is possible. That is possible in the future. That's not something that I'm saying is to bank on. Or, or they could even try to make a deal with the year left on his contract, yes. depending on how things are going. Mm-hmm. Um, something to keep an eye on. Oh, God, we have too many to do. Court rates. Welcome back, CarCast. Why is the power play a mess? Need better slash more defined roles? Or are they follow, not following directions? Monty mentioning giving Tyler a chance in his one-timer spot, but I have yet to see him in it for more than two seconds, and no clean passes to him there. What gives? The funny thing is they actually scored a power play goal and went one for three tonight, but I thought the power play overall tonight was less effective than the previous game against Edmonton where they, when they finally got them in the third period, mm-hmm. they were momentum-building, game-changing power plays that they didn't score on, but it led to them coming back and getting in the game and winning. And I thought in Vancouver, even though they didn't score against the Canucks, they had positive momentum. I didn't think the momentum was that positive tonight, except for Jamie's goal on that. No, Jamie's goal was was big. Um, Other than that, the power play was just okay. Um, As far as the power play getting going, um, I think there's there's still an element to, like, that, that there's one unit that 
I think is, has got some things working. Um, I like Eslindell's game. I don't think he's a. I don't think he's can run the power play from the top. Like I, I honestly, well, he's not John Klingberg. It's a different. He's play. not. Yeah, he's not John Klingberg. Um, that being said, there was a moment tonight on the power play in the s- first period. I guess it had to be right because they didn't have any in the third, did they? Yes. Or did they? I uh, know they didn't. Sorry. Yeah. It was only in the first, right? Yeah. So Lindell had a one timer from the right circle, or maybe just a slap shot that missed the net, but it was dangerous. And everyone, ooh, and came back to Radulov, who happened to find himself at the blue line. And I wanted him to go, again, it's easy from up top. I wanted him to go right back to Essen for another one-timer. Instead, he dusted it off for a second and then slapped it right into the forward for a block. And I was like, no, put it back for that. Like, come on, shoot it. To go to a point on Court's question, one thing I believe the one question was asked was about defined roles. Yes. I, I actually think the best power plays, and you can tell me if you disagree with me, the best power plays to me are the ones where there may be quote unquote defined roles when on an entry or things like that, but the best power plays are where things are fluid. Yes. You look it's harder the, to defend. You look at the way the Boston Bruins run their power play, which is one of the best in the league. It's very fluid. Those three guys, they move all around, they all move around over. the place. And so to me, I, I keep hearing this whole this whole Tyler Sagan needs to be in the one timer spot. Tyler Sagan needs to be in the one timer spot. We haven't seen it a lot. We haven't seen it a lot, but also I don't want Tyler Sagan to stand in the one-timer spot. I want Tyler Sagan to actually help win puck battles. I want him to, I want him to create. I don't I want, want him to, standing there, but yeah. when they have possession no, that's around fine, the yes. perimeter, I would like to see that as an option because there was a time last year when you had Klingberg at the point and you had Sagan on one ha- on his off wing and Radulov on his off wing that he had two vicious one-timers to go either way, and that was really hard to defend. Mm-hmm. And when they were running, it was scary good with two guys battling down low. Yes, it has to break down when you have to retrieve. Everybody has to be a part of it. But, it, like, Sagan has scored some one-timers lately, not on the power play but in other spots, to go, okay, he still has a world-class shot. Why is that not being used a little bit more than never? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, no I, I agree that it should be used. I just I don't like the idea that of saying – Ask him to do what Ovechkin does, because that's not what it's you want to do. It's a little different, although he has the ability to do that. Yeah, um, does he? No, he doesn't have Ovechkin's shot. He's pretty close. No, just let, let's be honest, though. He doesn't have Ovechkin's shot. Yeah, but I still think he can score from that. I he mean, can score from there, but he can score from there. But you can't go and say, like, you have to be honest about it. You can't go say he's got Ovechkin's shot. No, but it's pretty good. Yeah. It's enough okay. that he should be. They should use it more than that's they're fair. using that's, it that's now. That's fair, but all right, we have two more to get, get okay. to. We have a bunch that we're gonna have to just admit or defeat on tonight because we just don't have enough time, and I want to go. So the two I'm gonna ask you, okay. Groobs writes in a funny one, and then there's another one which is I find funny. What percentage of Carcass recordings have been marred by a toot, but but neither of you will acknowledge it because you're broadcast for professionals. Going by that logic, Sean, never. Never, Because we're broadcast professionals, and we would never acknowledge such a thing. Fair? Fair. All right. Thanks, Groobs. Last one is kind of a funny one. Phil writes in, why does Sean dislike the phrase beast mode Ben so much? Why do I dislike it? That's what he's asking. I just feel like it's it's uncreative. You don't think? I I just feel like it's a phrase that... um, well, it's it's the first time I really heard beast mode was Marshawn Lynch in football, right? When he would have these crazy runs and just carry half of the defense on yeah. his shoulders. That was what they would call beast mode. 
they started calling Jamie Ben that what five years ago or so, six years ago. Yeah. I did. It's a phrase for me that, like, it's fine. If you want to use that phrase, it's fine. But I think there's better ways to describe it. And I also think it's become a phrase, not just about Jamie. I just feel it's a phrase. It's become a cliche in sports. To me. It is a cliche. It's a cliche where we talk about beast mode, beast mode this, beast mode that, yada, yada, yada. And I think it's become a cliche that we use for way too many things in sports. And so I like to think that I can try and – that's why I use the phrase Sochi Ben because that's 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 a phrase that that is something that only applies to Jamie Ben, and I feel we can kind of use that as a little bit. There's a little bit more context as opposed to this concept of beast mode. Um, that I guess that's why I don't have like an adamant hate against it. I just think that we can use better terminology. I guess there you have it, folks. Um... Oh, there's good questions that sent in that we're just going to have to skip because I want to go home. I'm tired. It's 20 minutes to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next episode of the CarCast will come Thursday night, Stars against the Winnipeg Jets. It's episode 86. And, Sean, I just took a peek at the list of 86s. There's some good ones. Oh, yeah? Yep. We'll have to have a nice argument, although I already know the winner. And it's not Wojtek Volsky. Oh, 